Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Find hidden clues and uncover a murder mystery. Solve mind-teasing mysteries of the Roaring Twenties. Engage your sense of observation to find hidden clues. Search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris and uncover a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles for you to solve. We're all here because we love true crime, right? Well, this game has the perfect twists and turns to keep your brain asking, what happened here? There's nothing I love more than getting to decorate my very own luxurious state island. The best part? You can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Amara, and this is Black Girl Gone, a true crime podcast. On this episode of Black Girl Gone, we tell the story of Naila Franklin, a 28-year-old woman who was brutally murdered in September 2007. Naila was living in Chicago, Illinois, and working as a pharmacy sales rep when she disappeared on September 18th. Nine days after she was last seen, her body was found in a wooded area in a Chicago suburb. When the investigation began, it didn't take police long to narrow in on a suspect, an ex who Ayla said was threatening her. An arrest was made three months later, but it would take eight years before justice would be served. This is Naila's story. Naila Franklin had done everything right in life. At just 28 years old, she had already accomplished so much, and her family was so excited to see what else she would achieve. But in September 2007, her bright future was snatched away by a heartless monster, leaving her family devastated and robbed of the promise of what could have been. When I first came across Nyla's story, I knew it was a story that I wanted to tell because although her killer has been caught and convicted, she was more than just a victim. She had a story. And part of her story is a cautionary tale about how no matter what decisions we may or may not make in our lives, evil people with evil intentions are out there. Naila Franklin was born on April 12, 1979 in Chicago, Illinois. Her mom Maria told the Chicago Tribune that she found the name Naila in a baby book. It's Arabic and means one who succeeds. And from the moment that she was born, she embodied that meaning. Maria said that Naila was her good luck charm and everything she touched seemed to turn to gold. According to her loved ones, she was what we would call an old soul. Maria said that she would always wonder why her daughter seemed to be in such a hurry to live her life. But looking back now, she believes that her soul knew that she wasn't going to be here for a long time. 
Her father, Lee Franklin, was a biochemist and a businessman. He and Maria were married, but divorced when Naila was a child. Lee, however, maintained a very close relationship with his daughter. He told the Chicago Tribune that after the divorce, Naila spent every other weekend with him and the summers too. He said that they had a special relationship and she reminded him so much of his mother. When describing Naila's personality, he said, quote, we called her Grandma Moot because when she said something, all other points were moot. Those who loved her said that she was strong-willed, but she was also warm and kind. After high school, Naila went to the University of Illinois at Urbana, where she majored in advertising. But after graduating, she decided to take a different path and began working as a pharmaceutical sales rep for Eli Lilly. If you know anything about pharmaceutical sales reps, then you know that they can earn a really good income. Young, single, and successful, Naila was living many people's dreams. She had even purchased a condo near the University of Chicago. Everything was falling into place for her at that point in her life, and her family was proud of her, but they weren't surprised because knowing Naila, they knew that she would be successful. Now, when it came to her personal life, Naila was a beauty who had the personality to match, and so it was no surprise that she didn't have trouble finding a date. But she was not just dating anybody. They were men of a certain caliber. I mean, Naila was young, made great money, owned her own condo, and so she, of course, wanted to date men who she believed fit into that life. In May 2006, when Naila met Reginald Potts while in the Gold Coast neighborhood of Chicago, she thought he was one of those men. Reginald told Naila that he was a successful real estate investor. He drove a white Bentley and lived in a luxury high-rise in an upscale neighborhood. I mean, he definitely looked the part. After meeting, Naila and Reginald started dating. But it didn't take Naila long to realize that something was off about Reginald. They dated for several months, but eventually she decided that she had had enough of Reginald, who she said was arrogant and disrespectful. There was also things about him that she had learned since they started seeing each other that were concerning, and she just didn't want to deal with him anymore. Sometimes, however, things are easier said than done, and Reginald kept coming back. And in moments of weakness, Naila would let him. But as she started to learn more and more about Reginald, it was becoming more and more clear that he wasn't just arrogant and disrespectful. He was a liar and a fraud. On July 16, 2007, Naila sent Reginald an email. The email was titled, Adios. According to court records, in the email, Naila explained to Reginald that she was done. She said that she had tried over and over to quote-unquote remove him from her life, but that he had always managed to slip back in. This time, however, she was really done. Naila told Reginald that the time had come to finally end all communication between them. She talked about how disappointing he was and how he disrespected her by flirting with her friends. She said that he was quote-unquote pathological and obsessed with insignificant things. But there was more. Naila had also written that she knew that things that he had told her since they had met had been nothing but lies. 
He had a lengthy criminal history that he had not told her about. And she also believed that he had had another girlfriend the whole time they were dating. And to top it all off, he had also lied about the fact that he had three children he had never even told her about. Reginald was not the man that he had portrayed himself to be, and Naila was not the kind of woman that was going to deal with a man like that. She was moving on. The same month that she decided to stop dealing with Reginald completely, Naila met a man named Andre while she was at an art gallery. Andre was an attorney who lived in Milwaukee. And after meeting, the two began dating, and Naila really liked Andre. He was the complete opposite of Reginald. He was kind and respectful. And they had a lot in common and genuinely got along. Although it was a long-distance relationship, it became serious, and they began making plans for their future together. Naila was happy with Andre according to her friends and family, and their relationship was refreshing, especially after dealing with Reginald. But Naila still felt disrespected by Reginald, and perhaps there was a part of her that just didn't want him to get away with what he was doing. She wanted the other women in his life to know who he really was. So Naila found the information for the mother of Reginald's youngest child and decided to reach out to her. She told her all about her and Reginald's relationship and how she didn't know about her or his children. The woman who Naila spoke to wasn't just the mother of Reginald's child. They were in a full-blown relationship, and she was surprised when she found out that he had been cheating on her. She was in the process of looking for a house for them and had no idea what he had really been up to. Now, a lot of women would not be happy about another woman calling them and telling them about the fact that their man has been cheating on them and that she is one of the women he's been cheating with. But she was grateful for Naila telling her the truth. And over the next several months, the women continued to keep in touch. However, once Reginald found out about Naila's communications with his girlfriend, he got angry. He started sending Naila threatening emails accusing her of being obsessed with him, among other vile things. She had clearly struck a nerve and had thrown a wrench into Reginald's game. He was trying desperately to keep up this wealthy playboy facade, but it was beginning to crumble, and the women in his life were talking. On September 6, 2007, someone sent Naila an email with an article attached. The article detailed how Reginald had been arrested a few years before for drugs and weapon charges and threatening a police officer who had been investigating him for stealing cars. The article described how after being left briefly inside a federal building, Reginald, who was a skinny man, slipped out of the handcuffs and escaped. And after he escaped, Reginald called the FBI to tell them that they would never catch him. But they did. Two weeks later, he was found hiding under a bush and was arrested again. After Naila got that email, she knew that she had made the right choice by getting away from Reginald. But when he found out that Naila had forwarded the email to her girlfriends, Reginald's anger towards Naila increased. In the days following, Reginald repeatedly called her and left her angry messages. 
In the beginning, Naila seemed unfazed by the calls. She knew that he was mad that she had found out the truth about him, but she didn't initially think that he was anything more than just talk. However, that began to change when the calls began to turn into threats. In one of the voicemails which Naila had let her friend hear, Reginald tells her that he would quote-unquote erase her. He said that he could have someone come over to her apartment and get her right now. He said in an angry, aggressive tone, quote, if you do anything else, if I hear anything else, I will erase your ass. You will disappear. It was clear that Reginald was escalating his threats, and Nayela played the messages for her friend because she wanted her to hear him just in case something happened to her. Her friend said that while they were on the phone that day, Reginald again called Nayela and she clicked over to answer. She said when Nayela got back on the phone, she was scared, and she gave her the passwords to her email and her voicemail just in case something happened to her and she needed to access it. Now, it's not clear what Reginald said to Nayela during that call, but whatever it was had scared her. And so she decided to contact the police and find out how she could file an order of protection against Reginald. Now, it's not clear if that report was ever filed, but Nayela took it as an opportunity to warn Reginald to stay away from her and stop communicating with her. I'm sure she thought that by putting him on notice that she had contacted the police, he would back off, especially considering that he was a felon. And she sent Reginald an email telling him that, quote, if you come anywhere near me, you will be back in jail. I promise. You are crazy. You hit women. You're a bully. You are extremely dangerous, but you're not going to bully me. In her conversation with Reginald's girlfriend and child's mother, she had learned that he had a violent side. It wasn't just talk. He was an angry, abusive man who had beaten her up several times. After Naila sent Reginald that message, it seems as if communication from him stopped. A few days after the email was sent, Naila went to Milwaukee to visit Andre. I'm sure it was a much-needed getaway in the midst of all the drama with Reginald. Naila spent a few days there, but when she came back to Chicago, she was still afraid of what Reginald might do to her. On September 17, 2007, after returning from her trip, Naila told a friend of hers that she really wanted to get the restraining order. And then she emailed Reginald's girlfriend, who had also confided in her that she wanted to get a restraining order too. She thought that maybe they could do it together to strengthen their claims. That same day that she sent the email, Naila also confided in a different friend that Reginald had threatened to kill her. The following morning, September 18th, Naila woke up and emailed Andre. They emailed back and forth for a while. She decided to take a personal day that day, and so she called her supervisor sometime before noon. After that, however, Naila stopped communicating. Now, according to those who were close to her, including her boyfriend Andre, she was one of the most reliable people that they knew. 
she always answered the phone or text, no matter what she was doing. But when Andre tried to reach Nayila later that afternoon, he was not getting a response. Her supervisor had also tried to reach her that afternoon, but they too were not getting a response, which again was completely out of the ordinary for Nayila. After hearing nothing for hours, at around 4 p.m., Nayila's family and friends began receiving strange messages from Nayila's phone, but the messages did not sound like her. Each message was more cryptic than the last. And as the night wore on, the messages continued, and Nayila's family and friends began to fear the worst. Where was Nayila? And what was really going on? When it comes to personal hygiene, who has time to read that long list of ingredients on the back of the bottle? Some ingredients I can't even pronounce. If you're like me and you care about what goes on your body, then it's time to try native personal care products like I did. Every native product is thoughtfully formulated to keep you feeling and smelling fresh all day long. You know Native for their aluminum-free deodorant. Native keeps their ingredient list bare naked, with ingredients you understand like coconut oil, shea butter, and baking soda. Native deodorant checks a lot of boxes, 72-hour odor protection, naturally derived ingredients, and a smooth, residue-free application. Native also offers a variety of scents, with new and limited edition scents being released all the time. When you use Native, you will smell amazing all day long, thanks to their long-lasting scents. Want to smell spicy and woodsy or clean and fresh? Native has scents for everyone. I personally like floral scents, and so I tried the lavender and rose, and it smells so good. It's light, it's not too much, but it has a really pleasant scent. Now is the time to make the switch from an antiperspirant to native. When you visit their site, you can discover all their fresh scents and maybe even try out one of their body washes while you're at it. Smell and feel fresh all day long with Native. Get 20% off your first order by going to nativedo.com slash girlgone or use promo code girlgone at checkout. That's native, D-E-O, dot com slash girl gone or you can use promo code girl gone at checkout for 20% off your first order on September 18th 2007 28 year old Naila Franklin spent the morning emailing her boyfriend Andre in the months prior Naila had been going back and forth with her ex Reginald who she had discovered was a liar and a cheater. Reginald had begun to threaten Naila, and she was afraid that he might hurt her. She had even contacted police about getting an order of protection. But after sending Andre emails that morning and calling out of work, Naila stopped communicating. A few hours later, her family and friends began receiving strange messages from her phone. When Naila emailed Andre the morning of September 18th, 2007, nothing seemed out of the ordinary. 
she and Andre would communicate regularly throughout the day. I mean, with him being so far away, it was normal for them to talk all day. And Naila was the kind of person who always answered the phone or returned texts. So when hours had gone by and Andre had not heard from Naila, he started to get concerned. He also wasn't the only one who could not get in contact with her. None of her sisters or her friends could get in contact with her either. But at around 4 p.m., strange messages began coming from Naila's phone. The messages were suspicious and did not sound like her. Andre, a friend of hers, and her sister Ashley all received these strange messages. Now, both Andre and Ashley had been trying to call Naila, and she wasn't answering. But they both received messages from her phone saying that she was out to dinner and that she would call them later. Which didn't make any sense, because, like I said, she always answered the phone, no matter what she was doing. Several of her coworkers also received strange messages from Naila, too. They said that the messages didn't make any sense and claimed that she was working in places where they knew she was not. That evening, an ex of Naila said that he, too, got a series of strange texts from her phone. He said that the messages were completely out of left field and, like the other messages being sent, didn't make any sense. At 7.30 p.m., he got a call from Naila's phone. And he said when he answered it, a voice that sounded like Naila said, Hello, can you hear me? Can you hear me? But he said that the call was muffled, and so he wasn't 100% sure that it was really her voice. He said then the call disconnected. A few seconds later, his phone rang again, but then immediately disconnected. And he said that when he tried to call back, that the phone went straight to voicemail. Between the hours of 4 p.m. and 9.30 p.m., a five-and-a-half-hour window of time, multiple people in Naila's life received these strange messages from her. But no one had actually spoken to her. After the messages stopped, her family and friends continued to call Naila. But at around 11 p.m., the phone began going straight to voicemail. At that point, Naila had gone completely silent. Andre continued trying to reach her and eventually decided to send her an email asking her, quote, are you alive? In all caps. I mean, he was half joking, half serious. It was one of those things that you ask someone when you're used to them picking up the phone and they don't. He had no idea that Naila was really in danger. By the next day, September 19th, no one still had spoken to Naila. The messages that her family and friends received the day before were unsettling. But when the always dependable Naila didn't show up for work that morning, her boss knew something was very wrong. And so they called Naila's sister, Leah, to let her know that Naila had not shown up for work and that they could not get in touch with her. Leah immediately called her sister, but she too wasn't getting an answer. And so she decided to call her other siblings and some of Naila's friends to see if anyone had spoken to her, but no one had. Nalia did not hesitate. After learning that no one had spoken to Naila in over a day, 
she filed a missing persons report. And then she and a few of Nyla's friends went over to her condo to see what was going on. When they arrived, the door was locked, but Leah had a key, and so they were able to enter the apartment. And once they did, they immediately knew that something was very, very wrong. On the counter was the breakfast that Nyla had been eating, and according to court documents, the apartment was in disarray, and her laptop and iPad were missing. And her car was not in its usual parking space. Nyla was missing, and all the signs were pointing to something having happened to her. And once her family was sure that she was missing, they knew that if they did not make finding her a priority, no one else would. Her sister Leah told Dateline that she knew all too well how young Black women were treated by the media when they went missing, and she was not going to let that happen to her sister. Leah was a PR exec, and so she used her contacts in the media to get her sister's story on the news. The day after Nyila was reported missing, her story began making local news headlines. And once the news and the public became aware of Nyila's story, the search for her began. Her picture was all over the local headlines, and police had begun to investigate her movements and the people in her life. They had spoken to Andre, who was in Milwaukee at the time, and he was quickly ruled out as a suspect. They also spoke to her siblings and friends who relayed the information about receiving those strange messages. The day after the news began covering Nyla's disappearance, police received their first break in the case. In an alleyway, a passerby was walking when they spotted boxes of medication samples for the Eli Lilly drug, Cymbalta. Now, the boxes were completely out of place, but after watching the news and learning about the missing pharmaceutical rep, he decided to call the police. But when police arrived to collect the boxes, they were mysteriously gone. However, the alleyway was just blocks away from where Reginald Potts lived. And over the next few days, investigators were beginning to learn more and more about Reginald. But two days after Nyla went missing, Reginald contacted the police and volunteered to come into the station and speak with them. It was welcome news to detectives because they had wanted to speak to him. When Reginald sat down with investigators, he was cooperative, but denied having any involvement with Nyla's disappearance. He told them that they had dated, but had decided to go their separate ways when he found out that the other woman that he was seeing was pregnant. He also gave them an alibi for the day that Nyla was last seen. He said that on the 18th, he woke up around 11 a.m. and then ran a few errands in various places around Chicago. And during the hours when the strange messages were coming from Nyla's phone, he said that he had been out shopping with two friends and then went out later for drinks with a woman. Now, police let Reginald go and decided that they would check his alibi. In the meantime, the search for Nyla continued. Her family had been canvassing the neighborhoods in and around Chicago and were passing out as many flyers as they could. 
In so many of these cases, the information is scarce. And even when police immediately start investigating, finding leads can be almost impossible. But in this case, police began finding information right away. The same day that the pedestrian found the Cymbalta boxes near Reginald's condo, an officer in Calumet City, a suburb of Chicago near the Indiana state line, was out patrolling near the River Oaks golf course when he found six boxes suspiciously stacked in a parking lot. Now, when he got out to check the boxes, he saw that they were addressed to Naila Franklin. Not so ironically, Reginald's brother-in-law owned a building on that very same road. And when investigators obtained Naila's phone records, the pieces of the mystery began to come into focus as they were able to pinpoint her last movements and conversations. They learned that Naila's phone last pinged in Calumet City and Hammond, another Chicago suburb. Yet, they couldn't find any reason why she would have been in either place. Now, the night that Naila went missing, they discovered that several 911 calls had been made from her phone, but there was no voice recorded, only music. But the calls were placed in an area only blocks away from where Reginald lived. In a very short period of time, police were beginning to realize that Reginald Potts was connected to almost all of the leads that they were receiving so far. I mean, boxes of the drug Nyla Markets were found near his apartment. More boxes with her name on it were found near a building his brother-in-law owned. And on the night that she went missing, her cell phone called 911 near his condo. He was increasingly becoming a person of interest. And once police learned the details of what had been taking place between Nyla and Reginald in the weeks leading up to her disappearance, he moved further and further up on their potential suspect list. Later on the same day that the cell phone records were received by police, in a neighborhood in Hammond, about three miles from where the boxes were found a few days earlier, police found Naila's car. The investigators searched the car and looked inside the trunk, which they said was in disarray. The car was searched for evidence, but it was obvious that someone had wiped the car in an attempt to hide the fingerprints. They did, however, find blood inside the vehicle on some papers, but there was no other evidence inside the car. Investigators did search the area near where the car was found for Naila, but didn't find anything in that immediate area. For nine long days, Naila's family passed out flyers and searched, hoping that she would be found, that she was out there somewhere. But on March 27th, their search for Naila came to a heartbreaking end. At around 3 a.m. that day, patrol officers in Calumet City found a pair of earbuds hanging from a tree behind that abandoned building that Reginald's brother owned. By that time, all the police in the area were aware of Naila's disappearance. And so when the officers spotted the earbuds, 
he decided to take a further look around to see if he found anything else suspicious. 20 feet from the edge of the parking lot, partially buried in a shallow grave, he found the body of Naila Franklin. She was nude and had clearly been there for days. The body was so badly decomposed that she had to be identified through dental records. The coroner determined that her cause of death was asphyxiation and that she'd been dead for at least 8 to 12 days before she was found. After Naila's body was found, police began to narrow in on their person of interest, Reginald Potts. The evidence, although circumstantial, was damning. Witnesses in Naila's building recalled seeing Reginald there several days in a row prior to her disappearance, which was the opposite of what Reginald had told them. He said that he had not seen or spoken to Naila since September 7th or 8th. A witness saw him in the parking lot on September 16th, sitting inside his Bentley. The next day, on the 17th, another witness saw him roaming the hallways of the building. And later that day, a security guard found him in the stairwell after getting reports of a suspicious man in the building. And when she found Reginald, he told her that he was smoking a cigarette. However, it didn't smell like he was smoking. He then told her that his last name was Johnson and that he lived in Unit 403. The guard, however, didn't believe him, and she called the police. But by the time the cops arrived, Reginald had left. However, they did discover that the lock on the garage door had been tampered with. After confirming with witnesses that Reginald had been seen in and around the building where Naila lived just days before she went missing, investigators looked at surveillance footage. And lo and behold, at around 12 p.m. on September 18th, surveillance captured images of Naila entering the parking garage with Reginald. A little after 1 p.m., they're both seen again on the footage, but Naila is walking in front of Reginald. But when they walk out of the camera's view, it would be the last images of Naila alive. Four hours later, Reginald is seen on footage again at Naila's building, but this time he's alone and he's seen carrying a laptop. The next time anyone sees Reginald is around 10.30 p.m. when a security guard saw him exiting the building through a back hallway into the garage where he drove off. Two days after Naila's body was found, police went to Reginald's apartment to search, and inside, they found Naila's iPad and laptop. They later discovered that the name on the device had been changed from Naila's iPad to Reginald's iPad on September 19th. The case against Reginald was mounting. Witness accounts and surveillance placed him at Naila's building the day she vanished, and cell phone data confirmed that Reginald's phone was pinging off the same towers as Naila's at the same time. But Reginald claimed to have an airtight alibi that included friends of his. And so when police first interviewed Reginald's alibis, 
they confirmed his story and his whereabouts. But after being interviewed for a few hours, one of the friends eventually admitted that they had lied and that Reginald was not with them. After everything police had gathered in the weeks since Nyla's body was found, they knew it was time to bring Reginald back in. And during their interrogation, they confronted him with the evidence that they had found. But Reginald continued to deny his involvement in Nyla's death. He accused the police of trying to frame him and said that they had photoshopped him into the videos of the surveillance. He said that the witnesses were lying, but when he was asked to stand for a lineup, he refused and instead took off all of his clothes. Police, however, had more than enough to charge Reginald. And so in early December 2007, Reginald Potts was charged with the murder of Nyla Franklin. The arrest was a huge relief for Nyla's family and friends, who knew from the start that Reginald was the person responsible for what happened to her. But even once he was behind bars, it would be eight long years before he would stand trial. In the years following his arrest, Reginald caused delay after delay. He would hire and fire attorneys in the middle of trial proceedings, which caused delays. He even tried to defend himself. He used every trick he could find to delay his trial year after year. He even tried to elicit sympathy from the public about his treatment in jail and raise doubts about his involvement in Nyla's murder. But after eight years, on October 28, 2015, the murder trial for Reginald Potts began. The state had to overcome a circumstantial case with little forensic evidence, but the evidence they had was clear and convincing. They presented over 30 witnesses, including eyewitnesses and Reginald's exes, who testified about his abusive behavior. The defense tried to introduce reasonable doubt. They pointed to the lack of forensic evidence and questioned the cell phone data presented by the state. The trial lasted two weeks, but it took just two hours and 15 minutes after they began deliberating for the jury to reach a verdict. Guilty. After eight years, finally, justice was served. At his sentencing, the judge called Reginald a cold, calculating, conniving coward of a con man who must be punished. He then sentenced Reginald Potts to life without the possibility of parole. He is now in an Illinois state correctional facility where he will spend the rest of his life. The beautiful life of Nyla Franklin came to a brutal, terrifying end after meeting a man who pretended to be someone that he was not. Not long after she went missing, Reginald was evicted from that luxury condo, and the police found out that the Bentley that he had been driving belonged to someone else. He was a fraud, a liar, a con man, like the judge said, and he had fooled a lot of people. But 
he couldn't fool Naila. She was too smart for that. And once she discovered who he really was, he decided that he was going to kill her. She was exposing him for all the things that he was not, and that enraged him. Because unlike him, Naila was everything she appeared to be. Beautiful, successful, kind, loving, and well-loved. He could have just walked away, realized that he had gotten caught, and moved on to his next con. But he was evil, and he wanted to take the most precious thing that Naila had. And that was her life. Even after 15 years and a conviction, I know that for the family of Naila Franklin, their pain of losing her will never go away. I just pray that in the middle of it, they have found some peace in some way. Naila Franklin was 28 years old when she was taken from this world, but she was more than her death. May Naila Franklin rest in peace. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We'll be back next week with a brand new story. In the meantime, make sure you follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.